electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, the talk of your turkey table. First, crypto's on the menu. This was a kid who got completely and utterly over his skis. And of course, the less generous view is that this was a Ponzi scheme. A what's what, who's who, what's next of the FTX collapse, and who still has pie on their face? This is far more Theranosian than Enronian. One of the billionaire Bitcoin believers taking a loss, but hopeful anyway, Galaxy Digital's Mike Novogratz. This is about transparency and disclosure. Our industry has failed to self-regulate. Other holiday conversation starters include China's COVID lockdowns, Avatar at the theater, oh, and a seasonal favorite, traffic. But so far, so good for American travelers. Our Phil LeBeau is at the airport already. This will be not the busiest day of this week, but one of the busiest. And how do you know when it's done? Mastering the centerpiece this Thanksgiving? Turkey tips from the Butterball Talk Line's Bill Nolan. My first piece of advice is be prepared. Be like a Boy Scout. Let's give him pumpkin to talk about. It's Wednesday, November 23rd. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand by three, two, one. Here's Mike. Here. All right, good Wednesday morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. I am not Joe, nor am I Becky. I am Brian Sullivan, and I'm along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew, good morning. How you doing, my friend? I'm, I'm doing well. We're gonna, I'm just, I just want to get an early line for Black Friday deals, so I decided to show up here. Right. I'll just We're sleep on the desk right on into Friday. Thanksgiving here. You ready to go? That's it. Looking forward to a good three hours. We've got a lot going on. Yeah, we do. Let's talk about Bitcoin prices this morning because they are bouncing now off two-year lows today. Um, We've talked about sort of what the low could be. Katie Stockton's told us she thinks it could come down as low as $12,000, but there still seems to be some upward momentum here, at least as folks are trying to figure out what is happening in the aftermath of this FTX collapse. Traders still cautious, closely monitoring uh, contagion. Uh, as we just mentioned, from that collapse. Among the latest headlines on the failed exchange, we had a lot to tell you about. FTX's attorney telling the bankruptcy court yesterday that the firm was run as a personal fiefdom of former, C- of former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Attorneys say that FTX now plans to sell off healthy business units, but the caution, the collapsed firm has also been hit by cyber attacks and has, quote, substantial assets missing. Now, the new FTX CEO, John Ray, has accused Bankman-Fried of working with regulators in the Bahamas to undermine the U.S. bankruptcy case and shift assets overseas. And there does seem to be a battle taking place to some degree between um, John Ray and what ultimately could be the U.S. courts and the Bohemian courts and perhaps even other international courts. So uh, it's going to be fascinating uh, to watch all of this play out, Brian. It is. And you wonder the complexity of this bankruptcy. Will it dwarf even something like an Enron? And I found something that Mr. Ray, who, by the way, as you've said, I know, but if our audience right. missed, John worked, Ray, the one on who the Enron case, he, yep. he was also the trustee sort of winding down Enron. And his comments the other day, Andrew, he made, you know, he said basically these are irresponsible, immature people. And then, but he also called them, quote, potentially compromised individuals. 
And I'm surprised nobody's dug more into that. Do you mean compromised morally, just that either principles were poor or compromised by something else? It was a very interesting and specific choice of words by Mr. Ray. So you think it's a you think he's being compromised by international somethings or other business? Or just moral or morally compromised. It was an interesting choice. I think he called them, and I don't want to immature and you know, and and basically uh messy, but then also he said, and potentially compromised individuals. I thought those were very specific words. I I don't think it would be unfair to say, right, there's the the generous view is that uh, this was a kid uh, who got completely and utterly over his skis. And of course, the less generous view is that this was a Ponzi scheme. And at some point, we're going to find out which one it was, right? I wonder if the kid couldn't ski. (laughs) You know, and I think we're learning a lot about Poor risk management. And, and I think the quote, listen, I'm sure this is this is a fascinating story. You guys probably talk about it at home. I do as much as my family will allow me, which is how did he how did they get this much money that quickly from institutions? I mean, I think that is the re- is it just that there was so much hype and hope around the business that people were. Th- this is your world, Andrew. This is literally. His deal book. I, I, I mean, the pitch book. I can you give you the. It, was kind I can of give a you joke. an answer. I have an answer for you. It's an, and it's a completely unsatisfying answer, oh. which is, if you're in the no no, if you're in the venture capital business, your business is to support the entrepreneur. It's why you have found for years, and uh, we've seen this story play out over and over again. Venture capitalists have supported uh, Elizabeth Holmes. They've supported so many startups that have ultimately failed because. A part of the business model is, in their mind, you know what, we're actually going to strike out, frankly, more than we're going to hit the ball, but we just have to hope we hit the ball enough and we hit a couple of home runs to win. And so venture capitalists, unlike private equity even, and unlike so many other investors, the, the level of diligence, the types of questions that are being asked, the repeated, not just once the money's in, but what's happening afterwards. That's just not happening at the same level in the venture capital world. It never has. And I don't know, maybe this will force the issue and maybe it will. I I think those are all fair points. And, you know, I myself have referred to it, you know, compared it to Enron. And that's probably a bad analogy. I think this is far more Theranosian than Enronian, right? Where Theranos, you had kind of a similar thing. You know, you had a you had a dropout. Now, Bankman Fried graduated, but Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of, you know, Stanford had sort of a unique thing, the black turtleneck, kind of had a, like Sam's hair, right? They both had kind of their brand, kind of had their brand, and people bought in. And with Theranos, of course, we know now there wasn't really ever a workable product, whereas let's not forget with Enron, as much fraud and everything that was going on, Kinder Morgan was built out of Enron. You know, Richard Kinder took the best parts and left. There was a real business at Enron, and I wonder when this is all said and done, Andrew, Will there be any semblance of any real business or money left at FTX? I think it's going to be very hard for there to be a yep. real recoup. Uh, unlike, you know, MF Global or some of the other, the other MF firms. Global, that actually, that's another, I think that's another good example. Listen, we got Michael Novogratz coming up. And that's a different one because, and, and similar because it's the commingling of funds, right? I mean, that's, that's what that was. But those funds were still there. As we've talked about with, with, on this show just yesterday, I think we used the phrase money heaven. The money may have gone to money heaven or money or, hell or the, in this case. Or, yeah, I was going to say, or the other one. In China, COVID cases, lockdowns, and growing frustrations. And who can blame them? Eunice Yun joining us now live from Beijing, where it seems like, at least in some parts of the country, Eunice, 
the people, some people, are starting to push back. Absolutely, Brian. Um, it is looking increasingly as though the COVID situation here is becoming a national outbreak. Uh, megacity Chongqing is now in effective lockdown. Chengdu, another city out west, uh, which um, just emerged from a, a lockdown in September, has announced mass testing. A Shanghai canceled an auto event. And then manufacturing and IT hub Shenzhen said that it's going to require a negative 48-hour COVID test as of Thursday, similar to what we're seeing here in Beijing. In fact, uh, this all comes as, as Beijing and the surrounding areas have been imposing uh, tighter restrictions. And as uh, export hub Guangzhou continues to uh, tighten its controls for some of the major districts. A research firm Capital Economics says that it's fearing that the uh, COVID situation in China could eventually head towards what we saw here back in the early days of the pandemic in 2020, when hundreds of millions of people were put under lockdown with disastrous consequences to the economy. The firm says, while there's little prospect of the authorities opting to step back from the zero COVID policy during the winter, there's a significant risk that containment efforts fail. Now, we had some uh, fleeting good news um, out of Zhengzhou, which is China's iPhone city, yesterday that the cases were falling. But today, uh, videos emerged online that were obtained by AP, not verified by NBC, but would appear to show people who claim to be Foxconn workers clashing with authorities in hazmat suits. And they're shouting, give us our pay. Now, this is all coming as uh, Foxconn had promised to um, new recruits that they would give them extra bonuses and higher pay if they agreed to live under the COVID controls. Brian? Yeah, and it's so hard to get any clear video out. I mean, just to have that little video up is, is, is pretty amazing considering the fact that it is so, so tightly controlled, Eunice. I mean, again, you and I have been speaking for two and a half years and we're colleagues and we're friends as well. Um, I know there's a lot of things it's probably you just can't say. What's it like for you? What's your day-to-day living there? Our viewers watch and they see you still there and it's nighttime and in a mask outside by yourself. It's very different than here. What's it like for your day-to-day? Day-to-day, especially these days, it's very much disrupted. Um, You have one plan um, to uh, send something to um, one, a building, for example, and then you find out that that building is in lockdown or um, several friends of mine now are in lockdown or in home quarantine. Or, um, but in, and again, it's, it's, quite, it's probably really different from in the U.S. I, c- I can't even imagine it. I actually don't still know anybody who has had COVID personally, um, who, who got it here as opposed to people who traveled in. And so, um, and that's a a lot of the cases here where you just hear about people getting locked up and pretty much nobody knows uh, anybody or has had close contact with people who have had COVID. Uh, One other thing, though, that, Brian, we've talked about a lot is this pushback that we're seeing. And uh, we are seeing more pushback. It is interesting to see these videos emerge. We are seeing more and more cases of videos emerging. And in fact, uh, just yesterday, there was an interesting post Uh, which eventually was censored, but it asked a series of questions to the National Health Authority. Um, And one of the main ones was, why does China need to have lockdowns when the rest of the world doesn't? And it's because people are watching what's going on, say, for example, at the World Cup. Notice that people are not wearing masks like the way that we wear them here. And so they've been asking a lot of questions 
and demanding answers. But uh, again, those uh, posts uh, quickly get deleted. Yeah, and, and you wonder just how much longer these people can, can deal with it, given that they're, they're being told this is for, quote, their good, and I'm doing air quotes. In reality, you're, you're talking years in now, people are, are they're, it's eating their life in certain ways that they may not be willing to sacrifice for much longer. Unishun, we're always thinking about you. Thank you. If you are heading to an airport today, you're certainly not alone. Phil LeBeau joins us live with lots of other people who are doing the same. He's at Chicago's O'Hare Airport this morning. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Andrew. And the good news is that it's a relatively quiet morning here. I say relatively quiet because, yes, there are a lot of people here at O'Hare, but we're not seeing long lines, and that's the expectation, not just here at O'Hare, but around the country. This will be not the busiest day of this week, but one of the busiest. The two Sundays before and after Thanksgiving are the busiest. A total of 4.51 million people are expected to fly this week. That is just a hair below what we saw in 2019 when it was 4.59 million. There are 1 million fewer seats, so the airlines are much more judicious about their capacity. Look at this, only Southwest has increased its capacity in the fourth quarter relative to 2019. You see American, United, and Delta, they've either dropped it or the capacity is flat. And for the transportation secretary who was here earlier this week, he says the opti he's pretty optimistic that this should be a relatively smooth holiday travel season. We've seen a lot of improvement from this summer when I called on the airlines to step up their game. Uh, we've seen more hiring, we've seen better pay, uh, we've seen more realistic schedules. But I think we're still many months away from getting to a level where we're all confident that the system could fully absorb a major weather event. As you take a look at shares of American, Delta, United and Southwest, the key thing to keep in mind with, which is really the driver of whether or not this will be a smooth Thanksgiving travel week, is the weather and the good news is guys we've got relatively clear weather across the country so if you have relatively clear weather you're off to the races for what should be a smooth travel week and at this point it's uh, relatively quiet here at united and i or here at o'hare and that's uh, i think good news for people okay phil lebeau chicago o'hare um good luck to everybody uh playing the road warrior game this weekend happy thanksgiving to you i'm sure we'll be talking a lot more over at you Thanks. too you bet and a little bit of good news from Walt Disney, not the man, the company, which has had a tumultuous few days following the firing of CEO Bob Chapek and the return of Bob Iger as CEO. The Wall Street Journal reports that Chinese authorities have approved the release of Disney's Avatar, The Way of Water, in that country. It is a sequel to the hit 2009 science fiction movie, and it will be released globally on December 16th. Disney and other studios have seen a number of movies banned by Chinese censors. So I guess the good news is that the the Chinese censors signed off on the movie, so everybody can sleep easy. I'm going to it, and a lot of people have to, because to get that $2 billion back... What was their beef, to be, though? I think, what, were they, what, was, what, was supposed, what was the controversy in the movie, or they just need oh, now to just sign off on all the movies? I don't know. Ser serious question. I, I don't know the details, but by the way, for this movie to make money, it needs to be, I think, the third or fourth largest grossing film in history. So that's, that, that's the bar to clear. Next, on Squawk Pod, the epic FTX crypto fallout continues. This is a fascinating story. You guys probably talk about it at home. I do as much as my family will allow me. Today, we're talking to a longtime crypto bull who had exposure, over $76 million worth, to FTX, Mike Novogratz from Galaxy Digital. 
This is always about building trust with your clients. And right now we're in a deficit of trust. The big winners in this are gonna be people like Fidelity, who've just come out with their crypto product that has built a 130 year trust with their clients. And later, Talking Turkey. We'll be right back. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Hugh Andrew. Good morning, and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC right here. Uh, or I should say, good morning to us on Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, Sorkin. if I can remember my own name. Easy uh, for I'm you here to with say. Brian Sullivan, That's who's me. in for Joe and for Becky. You're doing double duty, my friend. And uh, we, got the, we got the holiday season upon us. We're here. We, 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 gotta, we gotta well, go some of us are here. Yes, and I am in for Joe and Becky because, they, you know, it's, it's, it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. By the way, I'm also hosting a 6 p.m. special tonight. Seriously. Wow. So, yeah. So that's just the oh, you're cheap doing double plug. duty. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it, was, no, it was only us. Le- who's left? Andrew, it was just us. It's like a couple others. What do you – we, we got we to get to the markets. Uh, and we'll talk about we? uh, what you're gonna going to be buying for Christmas on this Black Friday as we get ready. I've been, I've been looking up stuff to buy. All right, crypto prices, by the way, remain volatile. That's understatement. After the fallout from crypto exchange FTX, now former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is telling his former employees his own mismanagement of company assets and risk positions is what led to the sudden collapse. He wrote a letter to his staff. You can find it online. It's bizarre. Like so much of this, in, in part, it's very long, by the way. In part of it, Bankman Fried says that he, quote, did not realize the full extent of the margin position, nor did I realize the magnitude of the risk posed by a hyper correlated crash, adding, quote, I deeply regret my oversight failure. The letter comes after lawyers for FTX blasted Sam Bankman Fried's management in bankruptcy court yesterday, saying the former billionaire ran his company as a, quote, personal fiefdom and that the firm spent substantial amounts of money on items unrelated to the business, like vacation homes in the Bahamas. I'm going to, before we bring in our guest, uh, Andrew, I want to say something. I know we, we call him former billionaire. we got to stop doing that. He was never a billionaire. We all, I think we all know now it was just leverage and fake money, right? I, I, we, he, how do we know he was ever a billionaire? I mean, this goes to a question of what is money. But if you, if you decide that crypto is not money, but at, at some point you were able to get money with crypto. Um, and so I, was he a billionaire? I don't know. Yeah. Do you, is, is, is Elon Musk a billionaire? 
I think he is. Yeah, because he's got it in Tesla stock, right? He can take that stock and immediately sell it to you or me and to, and get real money for that. I just don't know if Sam Bankman-Fried was ever truly a billionaire. Well, this goes just- to the question of whether any of the crypto market is actually liquid enough, but whether when you look at the market caps of all yeah. of these cryptocurrencies, what the liquidity of those of, of those market caps really are, such that when That's you fair. actually base a valuation of a, a, of a person or a company on them and allow people to leverage based on that, whether those are real numbers. And that's, I think, what's happened here. From my little perch, Brian Selvin is not going to say former billionaire anymore. And by the way, to say that you don't know the the margin position is like if you went to to Mrs. Sorkin and were like, remember when I said we had $8,000 in credit card debt, honey? What I meant is we have 800,000 in credit card debt. That's basically what happened. I mean, it's running a business like a bunch of, like running a lemonade stand. Joining us right now, Mike Novogratz, founder, chairman, and CEO of Galaxy Digital. Mike, it's great to see you. Uh, Want to first get your reaction to just the flood of news that we've gotten out of FTX, both from the company's new CEO, of course, who oversaw the uh, upending of, uh, of the bankruptcy for Enron, uh, who, who believes that Sam Bankman-Fried treated this company like a personal fiefdom. And then at the, on the other end, I want to talk about the, the regulatory aspect and what you think the future may hold. But but first, as we've seen even memos coming out from Sam Bankman-Fried himself, what do you think? Yeah, it, it's shocking to me uh, in some ways. You know, I, I had some young kids break into my apartment four years ago. They stole a couple laptops. And within three days, the NYPD had arrested them and they were in jail. Uh, I had Sam Bankman-Fried, who maybe I'm not a judge or, or a lawyer, but I read my contract, certainly did things with our coins that were illegal. Uh, and he's running around the Bahamas, giving press conferences, going on TV. Uh, you know, <laughs> that whole thing kind of surprises me. I think his day will come. I'm shocked that his father, who's supposed to be a lawyer, is letting letting him talk or that anyone's actually listening to him. Right. Liars lie and will continue to lie. And so when you when you say that he he, he did things with coins that he that he was not allowed to do, what are you specifically referring to? Because you had you money read on your his contract exchange. when you deposit your your crypto or your dollars. Uh, on his exchange, you know, they're your coins, you've got title to them and and lending them to his family office was not part of the deal. <laughs> and so, you know, no nobody who participated in that exchange uh, signed a contract that Sam could take your coins and run a hedge fund with them. Uh, and so, you know, that's fraud. I, you know, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I, my lawyers will probably yell at me. Mike, let you. me ask you a very technical question, though, and, and it, maybe it's a, it's a nuanced question. Oftentimes, on a lot of these exchanges, as you know, and I'm not just talking about crypto, I'm talking about any exchange, a lot of exchanges, um, your shares, if you will, get lent to others. I'm not saying it should be lent to Sam Bankman-Fried's personal um, you know, hedge fund, but how do you think about that piece of it? Listen, I think coins should be segregated in your account, and they shouldn't be lent unless you get permission to lend, right? Listen, there were, there were businesses like BlockFi or Celsius where in the contract, there was permission for them to take your coins and lend them out. Uh, and so, again, this is about transparency and disclosure uh, in lots of ways. And, you know, our industry has failed to self-regulate. Uh, I think the money side of crypto, companies like ours that buy and sell and lend and do derivatives uh, are going to get regulated and should be. Uh, and then the tech side of crypto, the on-chain stuff, why we all started crypto, that has its own Ser- series of regulatory challenges, right? KYC, AML, but that kind of should be 
uh, kept separately. Um, you know, this is always about building trust with your clients. And right now we're in a deficit of trust. People think, you know, there's a black swan around every corner that everyone else is, you know, a sociopath and, and saying one thing and doing something Mike, else. Isn't this an indictment to, I mean, is this an indictment of crypto? Because the entire premise of crypto was the idea of creating trust, actually creating a trustless system. Yeah. Listen, that it was so there, trusted, you actually didn't really have to trust anybody. And that, and that, and that still is the long-term goal. Why did why did companies like mine get set up? Right, we are a, a financial company to help bridge people into this new economy. Right, it it accelerates the capital going in. Right, it it helps people understand it. And so all the the investment capital that's moved into crypto, or lots of it, has come from centralized companies. And so centralized companies play an important role in the ecosystem. But just like a centralized financial company, they need to build trust with their clients by being transparent, right. by doing things the right way, by risk managing. And, you know, listen, we had Lehman Brothers, which was regulated below up because they did stupid things. Uh, and so this is not really an indictment of crypto. It's an indictment of FTX and other companies which were poorly run or fraudulently run. Well, Mike, it's Brian. I think we're waiting for an indictment, if you know what I mean. Uh, that said... We saw Kathy Wood step in. She picked up some grayscale Bitcoin trust. Do you feel like investors will or are going to take advantage of any crisis of confidence in this market? And by the way, do we have a crisis of confidence in this market? Yeah, we certainly have a crisis of confidence in this market. And we're not out of the woods yet, right? There's a lot of... Or the Kathy Woods. (laughs) There's a lot of daisy chain effect going on. Uh, And... You know, people who had exposure to three arrows and then then they had exposure to FTX and, you know, FTX was a major player. And so it's going to take a few weeks for people to just even get their balance back. Uh, Bitcoin's not going away. Right. There are 150 million people that have already decided to store some of their net worth in Bitcoin uh, into this decentralized community that's verified by cryptography. And so in no in no in no world is Bitcoin going away, or quite frankly, the blockchain and Ethereum and everything else. And so this is a buying opportunity in the long run. Is it here? Is it a little lower? Uh, I was just in the Mideast. Uh, in some, in a lot of the cases, they're like, oh, God, glad I didn't get in yet. Uh, but others, they're like, hey, this is my chance. And so I do think you're going to see people like Kathy come in to, to, to inject capital in time. Um, I don't think it's going to be a V recovery by any stretch. It's going to be a grind out of rebuilding trust. Uh, you know, Mike, centralized companies are going to have to do things differently. Do you think that people should keep their money, their crypto, in effectively cold storage in a hard wallet? Listen, I think when you keep your money at a place like Coinbase, uh, it most of your money is in a hard wallet. Uh, it is in cold storage. I mean, that's the 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 damning part of of, of having someone who does things you know differently than they say they're going to do. Uh, is you know when you put money on exchanges, the bulk of the money isn't isn't you know cold storage, and so you don't think you're taking that much credit risk uh, or exchange risk. Uh, I think you're going to see more and more people put their money in very safe and trusted custodians. Right. The big winners in this are going to be people like Fidelity, who've just come out with their crypto product that has built a 130 year uh, you know 130 year history of trust with their clients. Uh, and so I do think the traditional players but Mike, that are how much in, of this is about the exchange building trust and yet questions about these currencies, about these tokens, about what 
these coins really even are. Are they made up coins? Are we talking about three or four or five coins that will exist in the future and that's what we're talking about? Are we talking about a hundred projects? Are we talking about a thousand projects? I, I mean, I think I, that I, that's, that, that's sort of a central question underneath all of this. And that goes to, therefore, then the regulatory, regulatory piece, which is, I think for so long, the regulators haven't wanted to regulate this because they don't know how to regulate a hundred or a thousand coins. Listen, the, there are two kind of crises that happen at the same time. People keep saying, is this the Lehman moment or is this 2001? And it's a little bit of both. Uh, we had this wild acceleration of prices in all these coins, including baseball cards and wines and NFTs, because the idea of value changed when the Federal Reserve was printing money uh, ad infinitum. And so you had a bubble, right? You know, there's no doubt about people's art selling for $69 million. That that made no sense, uh, as much as I love people. Uh, at the same time, this Lehman moment is, wow, you know, bad bad practices, overleveraged, asset liability mismatch, and a right. whole system that's interconnected. And so when you come back to it, coins like Bitcoin that have a purpose, right? It's a digital store of value. It has been proven out over 14 years now are going to exist. Coins that provide utility, Ethereum building right. this decentralized computer are going to exist. Um, some of the exchange tokens, a lot of these tokens were set up uh, to get around regulation, right? So it wasn't that they gave you nothing. You got discounts on fees or or whatnot. Uh, we were never big supporters of them uh, because I didn't think there was enough value there uh, to create uh, to to create right. sustainable value. Um, and so a lot will get washed out, and some will some will continue to grow. Mike Novogratz, want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Cheese will be next. Up next. The Based is yet to come. Checking in with the unflappable experts at the Butterball Turkey Talk Line. Make sure you've got it thought and ready to cook. If you have any questions, give Butterball a call. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC, where we're enjoying a regular Turkey Day tradition here on Squawk Box. I'll hand it over to Brian Sullivan. It is time to talk turkey. It is the day before Thanksgiving, I'm told. And if you are feeling stress and anxiety about prepping the holiday feast, do not sweat it. Maybe have a couple of adult beverages, but also the folks at Butterball are going to help you avoid <clears throat> foul play. Let's check in with our wingman. He is Bill Nolan, a supervisor at the Butterball Turkey Talk Line, joining us now for the Talk Line Prep Kitchen in lovely Naperville, Illinois. All right, so, Bill, let's talk about this. Um, you know, hey, let's be real. A lot, of, a lot of families may be getting together for the first time in a couple of years for Thanksgiving or maybe getting together in a, in a big way, obviously coming out of the pandemic. So there may be a lot of newbies out there. What's your best starting piece of advice for a, a noob in the kitchen? 
Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be with you again. My first piece of advice is be prepared. Be like a Boy Scout. Have a plan. Be prepared. Know what you're going to do. Have your turkey thawed. Make sure you've got it thawed and ready to cook tomorrow. If you have any questions, give Butterball a call. 1-800-BUTTERBALL. We can walk you through from taking your turkey, it looks like this out of the package, into something that looks like this in front of me, which is, by the way, a real turkey, cooked to perfection, golden brown. We can walk you through the entire process. Yeah, okay. So the most common mistakes, I would imagine, are drying it out, keeping it in the oven too long, not letting it sit, and for gosh sakes, don't throw a completely frozen turkey into a deep fat fryer. That's that's number one. Don't do that. Yeah, that that's a bad thing. You know, when you're deep fat frying, you've got to be careful. It's a great way to cook a turkey, great flavor, but Never, ever put a frozen turkey into that hot oil because it's just a it's a recipe for disaster. But, you know, what you have to do is we get a lot of mistakes that people they don't have their turkey fully thawed. Maybe they think it's thawed, but it's not partially thawed, partially not thawed. OK, this is a problem because the part it's, it's not going to turn out. It's going to be overcooked and undercooked, drying out the turkey. Here's your secret. Reliable meat thermometer. Have it ready for the cook. When you take the turkey out of the oven, we have two temperatures to remember, 170 degrees in the breast, top of the turkey here, and 180 degrees in the thigh between the leg and the body of the turkey for optimum eating quality and food safety. A lot of people call us and say, hey, my turkey's really dry. You sold me a dry turkey. So, well, we can't really sell dry turkeys. It's probably because it's overcooked. And if they check the temperature, you know, maybe they took it up to 180 degrees. And that's a little bit too much. Yeah. Wh what is the right Right temp, Bill, in general. I know you've got size differences for the turkeys as well, but what's a good temp? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the best temp is, again, 170 in the breast. So when you check it, you have your thermometer, you want to go into the breast, down until you hit bone. You'll feel bone, something hard, pull it halfway out. Check the temperature. You want to hit 170 right there. In the thigh down here, 180 degrees. Again, same thing. Put it down into the turkey pull it halfway out, check the temperature, and do it in a couple places because you're going to find different temperatures in different parts of the turkey. It's a large animal. It's got different zones. But one, no matter what size your turkey is, those are the two numbers you need to remember. In addition, if you stuff your turkey, you need to check the temperature of the stuffing, and that needs to be 165 degrees. 165, 175. Do you have any temp recommendations on a turducken? Well, we'll do that in a different segment. Never mind, Bill. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> hey, Bill Nolan, I know you and your team are going to be really busy. We, we appreciate you being out there for us all that are just trying to, have to put the best meal on the table. So, so good luck to you and your team and everybody. Thanks very much. Have a happy Thanksgiving, Bill. Thank you for having me on. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Move it or lose it. All right, I got the verbal hook, Andrew. I got the, you know, you know, you know that voice. Got to go. So I know that go. voice. We got to go. Brian, I want to uh, thank you for hanging out uh, for these three hours. I want to wish everybody a very, very happy Thanksgiving. Make sure you join us on Friday. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is off the air for the holiday tomorrow, but there will be a fresh podcast in your feed early just for you, just for Thanksgiving. Please check it out. From our whole Squawk team on air and in your ears, have a very happy Thanksgiving. This
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.